From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. So it's important to understand that the U.S. Constitution set up our government with an eye towards avoiding concentrations of power and tyranny. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. As subpoenas royal through the halls of government, the Democrats' impeachment inquiry escalates, and a tranche of revelations consume cable news hourly. Miami Law's constitutional expert in residence, Professor Caroline Mala Corbin, joins us today to separate fact from fiction on Impeachment Road. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Caroline. Thanks for taking the time to see us. Thank you for having me. So these are kind of blinking, you missed it days. There's so much happening in the impeachment process. So let's just slow down and start with the process. Can you give our listeners a little crib sheet as to the mechanisms of impeachment and then trial? Okay, so impeachment and removal is basically a two-step process that involves both houses of Congress. The first, a majority of the House impeaches the president, and to impeach is essentially to indict. So articles of impeachment are basically a list of charges. So if a majority of the House approves them, second, the Senate tries the president. So the chief justice of the Supreme Court oversees the trial and the Senate acts as a jury. And if two thirds of the Senate votes to convict, the president is out of office. You're out of there. And that would be John Roberts. The chief justice of the Supreme Court is currently Roberts. So why does the Constitution even have an impeachment out? So it's important to understand that the U.S. Constitution set up our government with an eye towards avoiding concentrations of power and tyranny. And one way it does this is by dividing power. So the Constitution divides power between the states and the federal government. The Constitution also divides the power of the federal government among the three branches of the government executive, the judiciary, and the legislature. Moreover, each of these branches of the federal government serve as a check on the other two, creating our system of checks and balances among the three branches. And so the power to impeach is a crucial way that Congress checks the power and abuse of power of the president. Of the executive branch. Okay, great. Um, so what would what might be grounds for impeachment? So according to the text of the Constitution, the president may be impeached for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Let's kind of parse out what the word treason means and, and what would be included under that umbrella. So treason is the only one of those three listed that the U.S. Constitution actually defines. And under the Constitution, here's the quote, treason against the United States shall consist only in loving war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. So basically, treason means helping our enemies, where enemies are those who we are in an open war with. So helping a country is not treason unless we are actually at war with that country. Okay. 
I got that. And then high crimes and misdemeanors. So the Constitution doesn't define high crimes and misdemeanors. It sounds and- like the name of a band or. I I don't know what. I don't even begin to know what that means. I think there's a lot of things from impeachment that could end up as the name of a band. Um, The thing about high crimes and misdemeanors that is very important to understand is that it does not mean it has to be uh, a felony, right? The, The high crime or misdemeanor does not have to be something that violates a particular law. And that's because ultimately the impeachment process is a political process, not a criminal process. So as a political process, the House has a lot of leeway in defining a high crime as they see fit. That said, high crimes and misdemeanors is generally understood understood to mean sort of a serious abuse of public trust. So examples might include abuse of power or obstruction of justice or contempt of Congress. Um, Those three actually happen to be the articles of impeachment that were under consideration for Nixon before he resigned. Mm -hmm. Um, And and do they have to have all three no. Of these, or it can be some of these, some of those, none of these. Exactly. All, so it too could, many parking tickets. It could be that uh, the sort of committee in charge comes up with a list. The House will consider each of them, and the ones that get a majority vote will be the ones that go up to the Senate. Oh. Um, so are there grounds to impeach President Trump? There are many potential grounds, including today's, maybe if we if we sort of take a look again at those articles of impeachment that were under consideration for Nixon, they could equally apply now. So take abuse of power. Again, that's the idea that the president is using the power and prestige of his office, not for the benefit of the United States, but for his own personal benefit. So that might be uh, an example that might be using the office of the president to pressure a foreign nation to investigate a political rival Mm -hmm. that might be considered abuse of power. Obstruction of justice is impeding an official investigation. And one way you could do that is by tampering with a witness, intimidating a witness, threatening a witness. Mm -hmm. Another way you might obstruct justice if um, and of course, obstruction, right, it often occurs in the cover up of the original crime. So hiding materials um, might be another example of obstruction. And another one, just just to get to the third that was under consideration for Nixon was contempt of Congress, Mm -hmm. which sort of when you refuse to respond to Congress's subpoenas, there are more, but I can stop there. That was my question was if the president continues to sort of stonewall saying these witnesses won't come, we won't give you these documents that that all falls into that. More either obstruction of justice or contempt of Congress, both of them. And what are, I, I mean, I was joking when I said parking tickets, what other sorts of things could come into Again, ultimately, it's up to Congress to decide what they consider to be an abuse of office. Uh, It could also include things like bribery, uh, abuse of the pardon power, 
emoluments clause violations. Mm -hmm. Those are the clauses saying the president should not be enriching himself at the uh, using his office to enrich himself. They could decide that lying to the American public on a regular basis is an abuse of office or inciting racial violence. It's really up to Congress to decide what they think amounts to an abuse of office that makes it a high crime or misdemeanor. Can we drill a little farther down into emoluments? Sure. There are actually two emoluments clauses in the U.S. Constitution. There's a foreign emoluments clause and a domestic emoluments clause. The foreign emoluments clause states that the uh, president cannot get any emolument, anything of value from a foreign government without the permission of Congress. And this bar on accepting things of value from foreign governments was designed to ensure that foreign governments couldn't corrupt the president and to ensure that foreign policy was based on the best interests of the United States and not the best interests of the president. Um, And there is a question whether he violated that because he still owns interest in his properties all over the world. And now we see that often foreign governments feel obliged to stay and spend a lot of their money in those properties. And that thing of value ends up in Trump's hands. Then there's the domestic emoluments clause, which says that the only benefit the president should get from the federal or state government is his salary. And again, the fact that he so often stays there along with his very large government entourage raises the question that he is using the office of president to enrich himself. And so violations of those clauses may also raise the level of being a high crime or misdemeanor. Would that also hold true for you see these things where Pence is in Scotland instead of staying right near wherever it is he he goes and stays three hours away and then the whole his whole entourage or the military when they have a stopover, you know, they stop at his place. Does that all come under that emoluments too? Or that that's would- just Shady business practices. That, well, again, shady business practices in itself can be another high crime or misdemeanor. But the fact that Trump did not divest himself in these properties and that every time a U.S. official and everyone who comes along with them stays there means that he financially benefits from them in a way that we just have not seen in previous presidencies because the in the modern time, prior presidents have always ensured that there was no, you know, hint of. Right. We didn't all go buy Jimmy Carter peanut butter. Well, so there's n- nothing like this before. Um, this is a first, this sort of this is action. Two other presidents have been impeached. So Andrew Johnson was impeached back in 1868, but he was not convicted. Much more recently, Bill Clinton was impeached in 1998, but he was not convicted. And Richard Nixon 
was about to get impeached, but he resigned before they actually approved the articles of impeachment. So this is not the first time that a president has been the subject of an impeachment inquiry. Well, Carolyn, it's been great. I know we'll be seeing you back in the chair throughout uh, this season and next as this uh, teeters along. I am always delighted to come and talk about constitutional issues with you. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's show is brought to you by Miami Law's annual Lewis Henkin Lecture coming on October 15th. This year's human rights presentation, Race, Gender, and Nation in the Age of Shifting Borders, will be delivered by the adjunct senior fellow at the Women and Foreign Policy Program at the Council on Foreign Relations, Catherine Powell. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu. Thank you.